America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth where the new Republican Congress, the new Republican House of Representatives, I should say to be more accurate, has actually won its uh, first big accomplishment. Yeah, they're not arguing about the Pledge of Allegiance uh, anymore. I don't know how that will finally be resolved, uh, but look, people will continue to say the pledge at the beginning of uh, various sessions of the House of Representatives. What uh, they have accomplished is one of the things that they set out to do, which is they have uh, taken uh, Ilhan Omar off of the House uh, Committee on Foreign Affairs. It's... um, Uh, a big deal. It was an extremely heated dispute. The uh, uh, House voted almost entirely along party lines. There were a number of holdouts who had not been in favor of expelling Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, People like Nancy Mace, like Victoria Sparks. Victoria Sparks is the congresswoman from Indiana who is Ukrainian-born, she is one of those people who may be challenging uh, uh, Jim Banks, who was getting up a, a bunch of endorsements in the Senate race, a very hot Senate race, to replace Senator Mike Braun, who is running for governor, to try to make sure that the governorship of Indiana continues in Republican hands. And uh, uh, th- there's also been a decision today about the Republican who's been selected to deliver the response speech to uh, President Biden when he delivers the State of the Union speech in just a couple of days on February 7th. The, um, uh, there was one, only one member of the GOP who did not vote on the Ilhan Omar issue. The, the one thing that you could say about this is Uh, Is this really something that the American people want the House of Representatives to concentrate on right now, (laughs) especially when we have this problem with the debt ceiling? Uh, Yes, President Biden met with Speaker McCarthy yesterday and they said, we're confident we can negotiate something. So do it. Take that pressure and that threat, that Democlean sword away from uh, the necks of the American people. I mean, the the idea of a default of actually crashing the economy deliberately as a political stunt is so hateful and would be so disastrous for Republicans and uh, probably disastrous for President Biden, too, but you never know. And the reason I say you never know is because he could say, look, I wanted to go ahead and raise the debt ceiling and avoid default, and they just refused. And uh, they they have to do it, and they will. We will get to that on the Michael Medved Show. Also, the presidential race is shaping up much earlier than people thought with the announcement by Nikki Haley that she will be announcing the day after Valentine's Day. I've already (laughs) started getting solicitations. She's not asking for money right now. She has some money. She is asking, actually, for people to lend their names as endorsers 
to make it clear that uh, President Trump, uh, though he has more support clearly than any other candidate for president right now on the Republican side, that uh, uh, President Trump does not have this sewn up, that there are prominent people who are actually willing to go in a Nikki Haley direction. Uh, by the way, the, the numbers in terms of who has money and the most money stored up uh, to run a presidential campaign against Donald Trump has some surprising answers to it. We will get to that. We'll also be talking about the anticipation that is all over the British press in particular of uh, President Putin trying to commemorate the one-year anniversary of his murderous and genocidal war against Ukraine. One of the, the great outrages of recent years on the world stage that he wants to commemorate that anniversary, which is coming up in two weeks. And how would he commemorate it? Uh, he would commemorate it by launching an invasion uh, from several directions at once uh, f and using 500,000 men. Can he put together 500,000 men? Uh, he will still has the opportunity, and apparently they've been doing this, of getting people out of prison uh, and putting them on the front lines. Uh, the entire thing is worrisome. We will speak to Elizabeth Braw of the American Enterprise Institute about the uh, latest developments in Russia's war on Ukraine. And, uh, and also the reports just this morning that they were, they actually hit a, a rescue uh, effort uh, that after having hit a building in a civilian area, there were fire trucks and rescue people and ambulances. They were also targeted by a Russian missile. It's an unbelievable situation. Uh, we'll be speaking later to David Byler, who is a political analyst and uh, statistical master from uh, the New York, uh, from the Washington Post, actually. And he writes about how Trump's opponents are making a gigantic mistake to assume that this battle for the Republican nomination will mirror the battle for the Republican nomination that Trump won in 2016. Uh, we will get to that and speak with him, and we'll be speaking to Ben Jealous, the former president of the National uh, Association for the Advancement of, well, it's, you can say it, uh, color people, because it's NAACP, the most prominent and senior black civil rights organization, which uh, has had tremendous support from black and white people. What happens now? How is the reality being changed after the funeral yesterday for uh, Tyree Nichols and uh, the very moving and impassioned speech by Al Sharpton? What does it mean for the effort for civil rights and for American advancement, really, that the the horrible crime against Tyree Nichols was perpetrated by five black officers. We will get to that with Ben Jealous also on the Medved Show. Uh, first off, the um, uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, spoke about the House vote to remove Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, insisting 
that this move was not just tit for tat, that it was not uh, a move that was in response to the Democrats having driven Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar off their committees because of things that they had said or done. Here is what uh, Speaker McCarthy had to say. This is 7A. Congresswoman Omar, based upon what she had said, the anti-Semitic comments, it's all about the Benjamins, the, the military in America is equal to Hamas and the Taliban. On 9-11, something happened that day. Even the former Democratic chair of the committee believed her comments were wrong. When a um, resolution was brought up, to deal with this last time, she never apologized. They changed the resolution to say anti-Semitism is wrong. We're not removing her from other committees. We just do not believe when it comes to foreign affairs, especially the responsibility of that position around the world with the comments that you make. She shouldn't serve there. But this is what the clear, this, if it was tit for tat, we would have picked people, took them off all committees and said nothing about it. We don't believe in that. Okay, uh, what do they believe in? There was a very, very emotional response when the House voted 218 to 211 to take her off the committee. The emotional response was not from her. Who was it from? We'll get to that crying on the floor of Congress and more coming up on The Medved Show. I am beyond honored and excited for... The Michael Medved Show. Sleep. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, Speaker uh, McCarthy spoke uh, again after the House cast its vote for a resolution to take Ilhan Omar, the representative born in Somalia, who uh, is represents the state of Minnesota in the Congress of the United States. She's highly controversial, certainly one of the most uh, left-wing members, not just on foreign policy, but on every aspect of domestic policy, one of the most left-wing members in the House of Representatives. Would she be taken off the uh, Committee on Foreign Affairs because of her position on any given issue. No, the the big issue that they're trying to make is for comments that are so outrageous that she's already apologized for them, and uh, and and re I mean repeatedly, and it's one of the reasons that this is all so bitter because the question then becomes, okay, is there are going to now just generally be a speech code where if you violate it and you take positions that are um, hateful to the majority of members of the House, does that mean you can't serve on certain committees? The argument for removing Ilhan Omar from Foreign Affairs Committee is that committee in particular is the one that is concerned with um, Middle East policy. And uh, there are issues that will come before the House Foreign Affairs Committee that will involve the interests of our ally, Israel, and uh, some of the 
problems with the Palestinians. There's a terrific piece we're going to post in our newsletter that goes out tomorrow uh, by former Israeli ambassador um, Yoram Ettinger, who writes about uh, how Secretary Blinken, when he was in the Middle East, uh, listened to a lot of diplomatic talk but didn't focus on the terroristic walk by the Palestinian Authority. Now, again, the idea that Ilhan Omar is anti-Israel, that's not the point. The point that the uh, opponents of her serving on House Foreign Affairs made had to do not with being anti-Israel, but being anti-Semitic. She made the, um, in February of 2019, right after she came to Commerce, uh, to Congress, uh, Ms. Omar said, it's all about the Benjamins baby. That was also a tweet in reference to the Benjamins being $100 bills and in reference to U.S. politicians uh, defending Israel, claiming that her colleagues were basically bought. Uh, and um, that was a trope connecting Jews with money and malign influence. And then uh, before she was in Congress, Ms. Omar had also said, Israel has hypnotized the world and added, may Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Uh, this is the way that um, McCarthy said that uh, he was going to be dealing with these issues in the future. And he apparently has already had a meeting with Hakeem Jeffries, the uh, new uh, Democratic leader of the House, the new minority leader of the House, uh, McCarthy said that they were going to be working on some code of conduct that would apply to uh, outrageous statements, uh, including statements about Jewish space lasers by, by Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, here's uh, Speaker McCarthy, 7B. I just had a conversation with the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries. What I asked him to do was to select a couple members, uh, along with himself and mine, and I have a couple members, and one's going to be Nancy Mace to help, and Ken Buck and some others, and I think what we should do is put into the rules. There is a code of conduct here, but I don't know the definition exactly what all that's going to mean. I think that should be clear, so if there is a concern, it's not tit for tat, but I think in moving forward, every single member of Congress has a responsibility to how they carry themselves. And to, let me finish the question. And it's responsible upon us to let them know what that is, and then what is the due process in a bipartisan way that we can deal with it. So I'm going to put a group of Democrats that Hakeem will select, a group of Republicans, and we'll work to come and clarify the rules and pass something for not only this Congress, but future Congresses. Okay, uh, uh, you can just imagine if they're fighting over who gets to say the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, <laughs> what it would look like if they're trying to refine a code of conduct. I mentioned that there was a tearful response, and it wasn't from Ilhan Omar. It was from her colleague uh, Rashida Tlaib, the gentle lady from Michigan. She uh, got excited on the House floor uh, about the fact that, not that Ilhan Omar is driven out of the House, she's a member of the House, she gets to vote, she gets to participate, she doesn't get right now to be on the Foreign Affairs Committee. And here is the reaction from Rashida Tlaib. Listen. GOP is now doing what it is best at, 
weaponizing hate against a black, beautiful Muslim woman. Congresswoman Omar's lived experience as a refugee and a child of survivor of war should be welcomed on this committee. It is needed. When you can't pass any bills that actually improve the people's lives, they turn to Congress, they turn Congress into a place of fear-mongering hate. It is so painful to watch. How ironic that the so-called lovers of personal freedom are now moving to censor Congresswoman Omar in the same week. They introduced a bill to ban federal employees from engaging in censorship. Where are the free speech warriors today? The hypocrisy is obvious to the American people. You are showing who you all are, really. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar, the gentlewoman's so time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. The gentlewoman is no longer recognized. Again, Ilhan Omar also can speak for him herself. Uh, this is uh, Representative Omar on the floor speaking just ahead of the vote. This is clip 66. Do we get to have, do we have to have to be counted as Americans? This is what this debate is about, Madam Speaker. There is this idea that you are a suspect if you are an immigrant or if you are from certain parts of the world or a certain skin tone or a Muslim. It is no accident that members of the Republican Party accused the first black president, Barack Obama, of being a secret Muslim. It is no accident that former President Donald Trump led a birther movement that falsely claimed he was born in Kenya. Because to them, falsely labeling the first and only president of the United States of America, a Muslim and African immigrant, somehow made him less American. Well? Well, uh, (laughs) again, the, the idea that this is akin to the birther movement, bizarre. And what about another part of the world where there is a war between right and wrong? The next steps in the war in Ukraine. On the Michael Medved Show, Uh, While Americans are waiting for political combat to move from the uh, floor of the House of Representatives to a broader electoral combat with um, Nikki Haley due to join the presidential campaign and others apparently right behind her, there's actually a real war and a very bloody war going on in Europe. And uh, the new reports from London, from The Sun, and they claim it's uh, confirmed by Ukrainian security personnel, have to do with uh, Vladimir Putin preparing a massive assault, uh, which would occur in the month of February, uh, with 500,000 men on two fronts. Uh, To talk about the state of the war and what America needs to do to prevent uh, the extermination of Ukrainian independence. Uh, it's a pleasure again to welcome back to the show 
Uh, Elizabeth Braw is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where she focuses uh, on defense against emerging national security challenges. She's also a columnist with Foreign Policy, where she writes on national security and the globalized economy. Uh, Elizabeth, do you find these claims about a 500,000 mass two-pronged invasion coming up uh, on the anniversary of the war in February 24th, is that credible? No. I I, I have no doubt that the the Russians would be able to find 500,000 men somehow. The question is uh, who those would be. Uh, we have seen already that, that the um, first mobilization uh, round that the, that the Russian armed forces conducted was was a uh, um, was, uh, uh, almost, a, I don't want to say a disaster, but it, it did happen, but uh, it did happen with a, a lot of complications. A lot of men didn't turn up, and, and it wasn't even... Properly. If you're going to mobilize, you have to make sure that uh, that uh, you have uh, backups for the men you mobilize, so that the, the the economy can keep going. They haven't done that, and and on top of that, uh, Russian men are not uh, not very motivated to participate in this war, regardless of their political opinions. But uh, uh, when you have faced a very real risk of losing your life, uh, you uh, you will. Uh, think twice about mobilizing or uh, answering that call-up letter. Uh, it, you are obliged to uh, by law, but you can, of course, also try to hide or indeed uh, try to, to get yourself to another country. So that was with 300,000. And and uh, I uh, would politely ask where the, the Russian armed forces have uh, think they're going to find another five, uh, uh, more soldiers on top of those uh, to uh, form an army of 500,000. And uh, it's, it's an extraordinarily large army for any modern war. And especially if you, uh, it, it will be especially complicated if you don't have uh, professional armed forces to make up the bulk for it. Okay, the, the future of, of the war, one of the things that people seem to be concerned about, and the report about the 500,000 men is from The Sun, which is a tabloid in, in London. Uh, but uh, the idea being that Putin would t- make some kind of aggressive move before Ukraine can actually effectively deploy the tanks that they are going to be receiving from the United States and from Germany. And uh, they also, uh, there's actually in the New York Times, they're suggesting that the American decision not to send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine uh, could be disastrous to their side in the war. What's the most optimistic uh, view of what the next months of combat are likely to bring? Yes, as, as you say, Michael, uh, the, the report of the 500,000 was from the tabloids. So we should take it with, with the pinch as well. But... Uh, it is uh, true that the Russians want to keep going uh, to, uh, in order to achieve some sort of victory, and their best window for that is before those tanks begin arriving. And, and so that gives them a few weeks, and uh, that is, I think, what, what uh, they are aiming for. The best that, that Ukraine and, and uh, the West can hope for is that the Russians don't manage to get anything 
anything viable together in that time because we should remember that their armed forces, that the frontline troops are, are already demoralized, uh, not again for any political reasons, but because they're just not making enough progress. And um, so the, the, the morale among the troops is, is a really big problem, whereas the Ukrainians don't have that problem. And, and that's as, it, as in any war where a country is defending itself, uh, the defending country has fewer problems with, with troop morale than, than the invading country, and that is uh, the case once again. Then Ukraine has another factor on its side, which is that the West has not been um, uh, leaving it on its own. It has been predicted so many times that after this or that delivery of weapons, the West will, will say no more and it will stop delivering. But once again, it has committed uh, to delivering more weapons in this case. Uh, the, the much-desired tanks. And as you say, Michael, now the next question is, will Ukraine get fighters as well as for F-16s and, and uh, Griffins? And, um, uh, and the U.S. and Germany have already said uh, uh, that they are not, and, and in, indeed other fighter jets, and, and the U.S. and, U, uh, and uh, Germany have already said that they won't uh, deliver those. I think it's probably a little bit unwise to, to draw such a, a, red, a clear red line because it gives the Russians the idea that the uh, that after this delivery, uh, they'll have a better chance. But uh, I think uh, the, the fact that the West is still holding strong and supporting Ukraine and that the Russians are pretty disorganized, that, that is Ukraine's best hope at the moment. What about the idea that if you look at the Republican Party in particular, uh, there are increasing voices that um, basically are skeptical or reluctant to continue the flow of aid and support to Ukraine's people saying well like President Trump said uh, yesterday he uh, issued a statement saying that uh, if, if what the president needs to do was to force peace which basically uh, means to force Zelensky to give up the idea of recovering the territory occupied taken by the Russians what uh, what about the political future of support with that kind of negativity out there in the political arena? Yeah, I think this is what Zelensky uh, saw coming uh, around the time of elections, which is why he made that unprecedented trip out of the country to Washington to deliver that speech to Congress, uh, simply to uh, show himself in the flesh, because we all know that if you see somebody on the screen, you uh, won't relate to them as much as you will if you have met them in the flesh. And, and so that's why he uh, dared to make this very risky trip uh, to essentially make the case to American legislators. We should remember he, has, he hasn't made any such trips to any other country, which tells, uh, gives an indication of how important the U.S. is to Ukraine. But um, and, and he did so because he or his advisors know that there is this creeping uh, sentiment among Republicans in particular and indeed left-leaning uh, Democrats, uh, or maybe it's time to, to negotiate for peace. Um, uh, it, it is really tricky. Americans haven't seen uh, their country invaded uh, like Ukraine has, and so it's very difficult to relate to what Ukrainians are going through. But I think uh, everybody uh, in, of a certain age in Europe uh, in, in certain countries knows what this is about and, and will support Ukraine. As, as far as, as the U.S. goes, I, I think that the, the, uh, what Zelensky can, the, the, the plea he can make or the appeal he can make is 
uh, on to legislators' vanity in, in, in practice to say that you wouldn't want to be the congressman or the senator or the congresswoman who uh, who helps Russia win over Ukraine. Uh, so I think that that is that is the the, the sort of plea he'll make, uh, even if they don't understand Ukraine that much, uh, they wouldn't want to be uh, the the member of Congress who helps Russia win uh, a war. Let us let us hope that you're right on that. Elizabeth Bra, her latest commentary is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back. And my leadership and voice will not be diminished if I am not on this committee for one term. My voice will get louder and stronger and my leadership will be celebrated around the world as it has been. Her leadership will be celebrated around the world. That, of course, was Ilhan Omar. And again, part of the problem with her on the Foreign Affairs Committee is not just that she is anti-Israel, I mean very anti-Israel, and opposed to Israel's very existence, but uh, that she's anti-American. And again, if you look at her speaking and writing about America's role in the world, and the idea that uh, at a time when it's so important to provide a support for the other countries in the West and support for the embattled Ukrainians who are struggling for survival and survival of their state. Remember when Putin uh, announced the special military action, he, he didn't call it an invasion, remember. But uh, when he announced that military action, uh, the initial attempt was to decapitate, and he used that phrase. He wanted to decapitate what he considered to be the Nazi Ukrainian regime. And um, about nearly everything else, uh, what, uh, what Ilan Omar denies is the crucial role in America in allowing for some order in this world. And given the fact that right now there's a great concern about about China and about a possible invasion of Taiwan. And this even changed uh, the policy of the Philippine nation with a new president uh, replacing Duterte. Uh, and the new Philippine administration is now working to welcome uh, more American bases and more American staffing at the American bases in the Philippines because they're right there. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, this will bring American forces much closer to Taiwan. It's a dangerous world. And uh, uh, McCarthy uh, was asked about, after his meeting with the president yesterday, Speaker McCarthy was asked about the funding issue and uh, funding for the aid to Ukraine, which has already been pledged, which is a lifeline to Ukraine. 
and uh, he avoided the question. This is a clip 11. So can those budget cuts impact uh, support for Ukraine from the United Look, States? What we talked about today was about moving forward and how we move through on a debt ceiling and how we get an agreement. I believe if we're able to get to an agreement, we could have a funding agreement for the next two years. You won't see omnibuses anymore. You'll see the Senate and the House actually do the job the American public has elected them to do, to walk through the appropriation process, which is the manner in which to do it, where the American public can see where we're spending our money. And I think there's a lot of savings we can find for the American taxpayer. Look, this is the hardworking taxpayers, and I know there's a lot of places where there's wasteful Washington spending. And I find that we can find an agreement there. Uh, again, not speaking specifically about something that is of great concern to the majority of his own Republican caucus and the overwhelming majority of the Democrats in the House, which is the uh, the aid for Ukraine that uh, is being authorized and that if there is some kind of holdup, in getting this deal worked out that he says he's working on with President Biden, uh, it is not only dangerous to our economy, it's dangerous to the foreign policy balance of power and the struggle between uh, Putinism and uh, Ukrainian independence. It's a uh, very serious matter. And uh, ultimately a more serious matter even than Ilhan Omar's position. Not in the House of Representatives. No one's driving her out of the House of Representatives. That's going to have to happen to George Santos. But uh, not to Ilhan Omar because there are no criminal offenses here, but it looks more and more like there are actual criminal offenses with George Santos. We'll get to that. But AOC... Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the gentle lady from the Bronx, uh, offered an impassioned defense of Ilhan Omar by doing what people on the left so often do, is making it all about race all the time. Uh, listen, clip 12. I think one of the things that we should talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy. Consistency, there is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an abdic a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and an, an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single Time has expired. My life was threatened. Thank you. Uh, she didn't get a. When she talks about her life being threatened, what she's talking about is a stupid cartoon that Paul Gosar, the representative from Arizona, 
uh, who lost his committee assignments because of that stupid cartoon. It was a cartoon that showed him as uh, some kind of mythological uh, creature, dragon-like creature, who was going to eat up uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and it had imagery of her. Uh, was it a serious threat saying, okay, we're, we're now going to attack Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Uh, no, that wasn't what it was about. Meanwhile, uh, to answer all the hysterics on the Democratic side and to answer more to the point, the president of the United States, who is going to be delivering his State of the Union address on February 7th, so coming right up next week, uh, who is going to be delivering the answer? Who do you think should have been delivering the answer? You could say, well, why not use uh, Nikki Haley or go back and use Tim Scott again? They've used him before. He's excellent. Then uh, problem is that they are both potential presidential candidates. Nikki Haley will be a presidential candidate shortly after that State of the Union address. So you don't want to favor one candidate over the other by giving them that slot. Uh, they've picked uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, the new governor of Arkansas. And given the fact that she is mainly known and her main political experience was as White House press secretary for President Trump, this is um, a way that uh, they can uh, actually please all sides, at least they think, not offend all sides of the Republican struggle because she obviously has very good relations with President Trump. He endorsed her for governor. She won an easy race for governor. She um, moved as one of her first moves as governor of Arkansas to ban the, t the term Latinx from official state documents. No, really, she did. And uh, uh, and Latinx is supposed to replace the word Latino because that's a gendered word or Latina, which is a gendered word female. In any event, I don't think she'll be speaking about that. And uh, uh, she is considered to be a rising star in the Republican Party. Uh, she uh, in May, she told a crowd outside a Dairy Queen in Little Rock that if elected governor, she wanted to make sure that the state my kids are growing up in and the state every kid is growing up in is the same one I got to grow up in. Uh, uh, that was in uh, speaking about the uh, uh, public support or statewide support for uh, drag queen shows in libraries and elsewhere. In any event, those are not the key issues that... American people are concerned about, and it's not necessarily the right GOP strategy. We'll talk about that strategy coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.